atheist. Because even God's people have trouble seeing their money as an opportunity to re-engage in the things of God and something to give over to God. Even if we, we try to pursue God in other, other aspects of our life, that one seems to be difficult at times. So the first week we talked about the cycle. We, uh, I'm trying to catch everybody up if you've not been here. Uh, if you, we talked about the cycle, the cycle of, of sowing, growing, and harvesting. We, we obviously, we see that in the fields. Thank the Lord the corn is doing okay. I had my concerns this spring, but it's doing all right. Um, but sowing, growing, and harvesting, the idea that we, we sow financial seeds too, maybe that's education, maybe that's um, effort, maybe that's commitment to a job, hoping that it will be nurtured, it will grow over time, right? And that eventually there will be a harvest. And the question becomes, one, are we sowing seeds in the things of God first and foremost? And two, when we receive the harvest, what are we doing with it? Do our desires for it line up with God's desires for it? Then we talked about tithing. Tithing needed did a great job of talking about this challenge that we have sometimes of seeing tithing as an, more of an obligation rather than an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reinvest in the kingdom of God, an opportunity to see what little we give because it really at the end of the day is little so that it can come together and do great things for God because God will multiply it, God will grow it, God will make amazing things happen. And that, that is really why we're called to tithe. It isn't about God needing money. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> it's really about re-engaging, giving us some investment in the community of God, the kingdom of God, and the things he's doing. And then we talked about the goldfish principle. I wish Susan Culp was here because she sent me a picture the day after of a kid walking away from the fair with a goldfish, which is awesome. But it, So if you missed it, the goldfish principle is simply this. Human beings, like goldfish, have a tendency to expand their consumption based on what's available. And that has nothing to do necessarily with what's needed. Right, and so that there's there's a, a distinct challenge there, and it over time, if that consumption becomes our goal, it becomes our God rather than the Lord being our God. And as Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, that's a problem. You can't have two masters; you have to choose. And obviously, we desire to choose God. Thank you. I was going to wait till you said it. Whoo. We, ought, we desire to choose God. This week, we're going to talk about this. That is a 66 Chevelle Malibu in mist blue. It came standard with a 283 Chevy small block, generated enough horsepower to get moving, but certainly was not the fastest thing on the block. I can, I can see, if I close my eyes, I can see the dashboard in it, the way it looks with the radio, and I can see this aftermarket air conditioner bolted underneath the dashboard that just blew cold air, right? And I can see the big steering wheel and the newly reupholstered seats because this is identical to a car that my grandmother drove. She bought it in 66. It was the last car she bought with her husband before he passed. And in 80, 1986, when I was getting my driver's license, she was still driving this car, and it had 60,000 miles on it. She really did just use it for errands and to go to church on Sundays. That's what my grandmother did with this car. 
And this, I remember, <laughs> I remember right after I turned 16, I was coming out of my job. I was, I worked at Burger King in high school. I was, I was coming out of, I was coming out of my job and I was getting ready to, to go home because my mom had let me use her car. And my grandmother was in that and she goes, flying by me. And it was a, it was on High Street just south of Worthington. It was a 35 mile an hour zone. And I was like, oh, there goes, man, she's moving. So I chased her. Now, the lights, the lights helped me catch her, right? But as we got down the road a little way between lights, I, I, I got behind her and I paced her. Do you know what that is? I stayed a, a certain distance behind her and kept that distance. Cops do that to track your speed too, by the way, to find out how fast she was going. My grandmother was going 50 in a 35, at which point I, when I realized how fast she was going, I immediately slowed down. Not because of some safety concern, but because what was running through my head is, what am I going to say to the police officer if he busts me? I was chasing my grandmother? <laughs> He's never going to buy that, right? Well, about a, about a, a year later, my grandmother decided that she um, didn't want to drive anymore. Um, she didn't need to. She lived in a retirement community that would take her wherever she needed to go, and she had a friend network, and she lived in the city, so she's close to everything that she needed to get to. She didn't want to drive anymore, and because she never liked it anyways, and she never felt comfortable with it anyway. She was always nervous she was going to hurt somebody, so she stopped. And then the car came to live with us. Now, hear how I speak about the car? It came to live with us, right? Like I picked up a little brother. And for, for a few months, I got to drive this car on a very regular basis. And driving this car down the interstate was like a dream because it, was just, it would just kind of float, right? It had full power steering, so when you turn corners, spin the wheel really fast. The air conditioning was right in your face all the time. It was a great car. I loved that car. About two months into it living with us, my mom and dad come, to my come into the bedroom and they go, we've sold the car. That's what I said. My heart went, oh. I said, I have a job. I'll buy the car. I'll buy the car. Whatever it is you said you'd sell the, the car to this guy for, I'll buy it. And they go, no. We sold it. It's gone. You don't need to drive this car. And I thought to myself, why do I not need to drive this car? Of course I need to drive this car. I love this car. You can ask Heather, a few months ago, we were driving through DeGraff, and I thought, saw a 65 that was mist blue parked at a gas station for sale. And I was like, and I was like, so we went and looked at it, and I said, you're lucky it's a 65, because if it was a 66, we might be talking to the bank right now. So, but not really. But the point is, I love the car, and the reason my parents sold the car was not because it was too fast, because remember, small block, it wasn't that fast, not because it wouldn't be safe for me to drive in. If somebody hit me, it's a tank, right? but really because that car was great as long as things were going well. So if you're cruising down the road, it's great, it's wonderful. But as a young driver, if you hit a patch of ice in the winter, that car is going wherever it feels like it wants to go, 
right? And it's difficult to correct that. They also thought, you know, if, if I needed to stop fast, if uh, uh, somebody ran in front of me, out here it would be if a deer ran in front of you, right? Or, or traffic came to a, a sudden stop and I had to stop quickly. If I had to list a downside for that car, it was not going to stop fast. There was so much momentum behind it. It was going to go, where, again, wherever it wanted to go. It didn't have the best brakes. And if you've looked at the sermon title on the front of the bulletin today, it's called Brakes Required, because brakes really are required in a car, right? Don't we think so? Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm always the person that's all about how, how going, how fast I'm going, but brakes are, are necessary, <laughs> or you're going to get in a whole world, world of trouble, right? Brakes, though, are also one of those things that we don't Always check. You know, when you, get in your, when you get in your car, you immediately look at your gas gauge, right? See how much gas you got. Right now, in this weather, if your air conditioning is broke, you're going to notice that one right away too, right? Yes or not? No, I don't either. Mine's busted. The windows are down. But if you have air conditioning, you're going to notice that it's broke immediately. But brakes are one of those things that we don't... We don't check all the time. Now, maybe you have a, a squealer in your, in your brakes, a wear squealer, that's supposed to tell you when it's, your brakes are wearing down. Although, if you're like me, you probably go, oh, they're just dirty, it'll be fine, right? Yeah, <laughs> wait till the squealer starts grinding. That's, that might be just a little too late. But it might fire warning signs. It might tell you what's going on. But the reality is very few of us, unless you're Dave, might crawl under the car and check the brakes and make sure the pads are good and the lines are good and everything's good. What you really are hoping for and expecting is for your brakes to work in a certain way when you need them. You're assuming they're going to work because what happens if they don't? You're in trouble. Use the emergency brake. Well, well, see, she's got a plan B, which is good. But brakes are one of those things that you just assume are going to work as intended when you need them. And you don't really check them every time you get in the car. You check them sometimes. You have them looked at when you take them to a shop. But you do not check your brakes every time you get in the car to drive somewhere. Yes? Is that true? And yet you still expect them to work as intended. The discussion this week is very much about um, our relationship with God sometimes functioning that way. Or we, we have a relationship with the Lord. If you're sitting here, you're either exploring a relationship with the Lord or you have a relationship with the Lord. Either one is wonderful. We're glad you're here for that. And we're glad we're able, you're letting us be a part of that. But we don't always do a good job of checking our relationship with the Lord until we need Him, much like breaks. Because in case you haven't figured it out, life has a way of just kind of flying along, of kind of cruising along. And when it's going well, you're not thinking about your breaks. You're not thinking about your relationship with God until 
something jumps out in front of you and something bad happens. And now, now you've got to test that relationship with God. And our hope is always that it will operate as we expect it to. But so often, it doesn't. It doesn't operate the way we expect it to. And we say, you say, well, Rob, this is about finances. This, this, this series is about money. Why does that have anything to do? It has everything to do with it because we do the same thing in our financial situations. Um, studies show that the vast majority of us sitting in this room and across America live paycheck to paycheck. And what that means is this, is if you miss a paycheck, what happens? Your world falls apart. And as long as we're cruising along and things are going well, we don't always pay attention to the warning signs. We don't always stop to check our finances until things go bad. <laughs> and then we need them until something bad happens and we realize it's not working the way we expected it to work. The truth is our relationship with God is the same way. The book we're studying right now is the book of Leviticus. Um, we talked about the setting for Leviticus is, is God teaching his people, really for the first time, most of them, uh, what it means to follow him rather than to, to see the world through other eyes, through, through pagan eyes or through the, the eyes of the Egyptian little g gods. It's all new to them, and that's why there's so many rules and so many expectations and stipulations because he's really trying to re-educate them from the point of childhood in their faith. They don't know who he is. And in the book of Leviticus, he takes considerable time to talk about breaks. Not those breaks, but better yet, B-R-E-A-K-S, breaks. You know where I'm going with this? I'm going to the Sabbath with this. So let's take a look at this. Let's look at Leviticus 23, 1 through 8. Let's talk about the Sabbath, what it means, what it is, why it matters. Leviticus 23, 1 through 8 said, The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, These are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there will be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Passover to the Lord comes in the first of the month at twilight on the 14th day of the month. The festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is in the 15th day of the same month. For seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. And on the first day, you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the seventh day, there will be a sacred assembly. Do not do any daily work. So clearly... This is about the Sabbath. Did you know that in Scripture there are three references to what is a, a kind of Sabbath? There's the Sabbath day, which is what we're doing right now, right? Hopefully. It's our Sabbath day. We call it the Sabbath day. There's also a Sabbath week. Did you know that the Sabbath week is supposed to come once every seven weeks? 
Once every seven weeks, you take a week off. How many of you have, right? How many of you have that in your job schedule, right? Once every seven weeks, you take a week off. There's also a Sabbath year. Once every seven years, you take a year off, right? All right, so let, let's look at that. Just so, just so you know it's there, it's Leviticus 25, verses 3 through 5. It says, you may sow your field for six years, and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years, but there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year. A Sabbath to the Lord. You are not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You are not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest the grapes of your, unintent or your untended vines. This is to be the year of complete rest for the land. The notion is that you're... Now, I dare you to go to your job and say, I need a Sabbath here. See what happens. But, but so there's a Sabbath day, there's a Sabbath week, there's a Sabbath year God talks about the Sabbath and the importance of the Sabbath often. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Keep the Sabbath holy. So what is, why, why is that so important? Well, let's talk about how the, 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 the role of Sabbath in our life, or at least the way it's intended to be. You know, the word Sabbath is a definition derived from the, the verb sabbat, meaning to stop or to cease or to keep. In Leviticus, they would have seen Sabbath in these ways. They would have seen it as a mitzvah, which is a, a duty, a duty before God. Something powerful about a duty, right? A any soldier will tell you that if they have a duty, that's a job that is non-negotiable, right? It's a job you're intended to do, something that is part of, of your, your routine, your expectation, your life. It is not, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. It is a mitzvah. It is required. You are to do it. It is also sacred. Did you know that profaning the Sabbath, doing the things you were not supposed to do, or saying horrible things about its value or importance in ancient Israel, according to Exodus 31 and 35 and Numbers 15, carried a death penalty. There's a death penalty for profaning the Sabbath. It was designed to deliver uh, to help God God's people own their identity in him as those he had delivered from the Egyptians. Their very identity was something that the Sabbath was designed to express for them. It was also a time of rest, a time from the restless condition of slavery. It wasn't just about taking a nap all day. What it was about was remembering that as slaves in Egypt, remember, because that's our context here, as slaves in Egypt, you were always working all day, every day. You had no capacity to manage your own schedule. You had no capacity to manage your life. Everybody else did it for you, and it was a restless, unsettled way to live, and God had restored the opportunity for them to rest in him. So this notion behind Sabbath was to remind them that slavery was not where they wanted to be, but freedom in the Lord is where they needed to be. It was also a time of worship, which we, I think, are pretty good at practicing every Sunday, right? Although there are many, many forms of worship, one of the ones that we do here is we gather. We gather on a Sunday morning. 
It was designed first and foremost as God demonstrated in Genesis chapter 2 when on the seventh day of creation he rested. Could have just said he was done after day six, right? But the scripture makes a point to say he rested. He rested, and I want to make this clear too, it's not because he needed a nap, okay? He rested because the work was finished and because he was taking his place on his throne with his people and with his creation. And so in doing that, he established a pattern, a pattern of rhythm for a life in God. The Sabbath, taking a Sabbath, is about establishing a rhythm in your life, a godly rhythm in your life. So what did, what did Jesus do with it? Well, Jesus in Mark, 20, Mark 2, 27 and 28 says, Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath falls under his lordship. He tells us what we're supposed to do or not do on a Sabbath. You get that? He's in charge. It's a time to see God working. We see him healing on the Sabbath. Jesus makes much of the fact that he heals on the Sabbath. In John chapter 9, 13 and following, it says that the day that Jesus made mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. He, he put mud on somebody's eyes and he healed them, right? This is contrary to the notion that the Pharisees had at the time, which would be to just, if the Sabbath is you just don't do anything. You go to synagogue and then you go home. That's it. But Jesus demonstrated that, there, that the Sabbath is also a time for healing and a time to see God heal. The Sabbath is also a time to do the work of God. In Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus do this. He says, but the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey for the, from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water. Satan has bound this woman, this daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be united from this bondage on the Sabbath day or untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? The Sabbath is intended to also be a time where we work alongside God doing the things that God would have us do. There's a relationship here that the Sabbath fills a unique role for. And when we skip the Sabbath... We are missing out. It's no wonder if, we, if, you, if you come to a Sunday service here regularly or gather with us regularly and you miss a Sunday, it should unsettle you because you broke the rhythm, right? Now, some of that's you broke a human rhythm because we all like patterns, we all like systems, we all like knowing what's expected, but some of that may legitimately be because you broke your godly rhythm because you're not taking a minute to stop. You're not taking a minute to rest in the presence of God, to be healed by God, to see others be healed by God, and by the grace of God, maybe to even be part of healing others in God. You're missing it. The Sabbath has purpose. It has meaning. It has value. And it is, according to the ancient Jews, it would have been an expectation, not an option. So what should Sabbath look like? Well, if we look at our source text today, uh, the Sabbath tells us first it should be a sacred assembly. That phrase shows up five times in those eight verses. If something shows up five times in eight verses, probably matters. 
probably matters. So what do we get from the sacred assembly? The first is this, uh, it is a protected time. Something is sacred is something we protect. Verse 2 says, it speak, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times of the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as a sacred assembly. How many of you have said to yourself on, on a Sunday morning um, or even a Saturday night as you're, getting, as you're deciding how late you're going to stay out on a Saturday night, am I protecting my, my gathering time, my Sabbath? Am I protecting it? Or am I going ahead and staying out super late so I can sleep in on Sunday morning? And some of this will be a discussion about whether or not you should be here on Sundays. My belief is if you're part of the people of God, you should be gathering with the people of God. And it should be absolutely be a part of your rhythm. Now, I'm not going to give you a speech on whether or not that should be on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night because the, the ancient Jews would have called the Sabbath Saturday. The date is really irrelevant. What is relevant is are you gathering? Are you protecting that time? Or do you, is our response to that time, if I have time this week, I will. If it fits into my other demands, I will. Or is it a protected time? Do you protect any times in your life? Do you protect your sleep? You know, one of the, Heather and I, um, Heather likes to sleep more than I do. She does. And she will tell you that, that there, in years past, she has had a sleep idol where the sleep was so important to her that she would set aside other things. She protected that time. Anymore, though, she's up earlier than me and goes to bed later, so I don't know what happened. But I'm just getting old, I guess. But... She protected that time, and, and we do. We have times in our life that we protect. Do you protect time to play on the computer every day? I know that happens at my house. Do you protect sleep? Do you protect the time you spend with your wife every night, which would be great. You should protect that time. Wise, punch your husband, say you should protect that time. Protect sacred time is protected. It's not negotiable. Remember what we said about a mitzvah? It's not negotiable. It's part of who you are. It's not about whether or not you have time. It's also a collective time. That, again, that word assembly indicates that this is not, the Sabbath is not just a time to sit in your room alone all day and say it's just me and God. That's not to say you can't do that on the Sabbath. I think that's a wonderful thing to do on the Sabbath. But if you nix the notion of assembling with other believers, you are missing out on a key part of the Sabbath because we need each other to encourage one another in our faith. We need each other to heal one another, to, to act as the hands of feet in, of God in each other's lives. We need that. So it's not just a time we protect, it's also in a time for us to be together. The Sabbath should include gathering with other believers. What else does the Sabbath tell us? Verse 3 says it's a restful time. It makes note of this a couple times. You can do work for six days, but on the seventh day there is to be a Sabbath, a complete rest. 
So is this, we discussed this in the teen class this morning, does that mean if it's designed to be a restful time, a time of complete rest, I should get up and go to church on Sunday, maybe make Bible class, maybe not, come to, this, come to the gathering and then go home and go to bed? Because I'm, I'm resting. I'm resting. Can I tell you that Sunday afternoon naps call to me? They call to me. But, 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 but this time of rest is not meant to be a time of just doing nothing. This is about resting very specifically and intentionally in the presence of God. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means you're exchanging the load of life for, the load, for carrying a load with God. Right? He says, Learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest, or you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear that? That's not a rest day does not mean take a nap all day, sleep all day, veg all day. It means actively, actively rest in the presence of God. Set aside all the other things that are driving you crazy. How many of you, how many of us, not you, us, use Sunday to do all the errands that you didn't get done the rest of the week? Every last one of us probably. We do all the things that we couldn't catch up to, we couldn't do at the end of the week. When you're doing that, we're not resting in God. We are not resting in God. We are not taking a Sabbath. We are not setting aside the things of the world, dropping that yoke for a minute, and allowing Jesus to carry a yoke with us. We're not doing that. We're choosing. And what we're choosing is not to keep it protected, not to keep it holy, not to keep it sacred, but to say, oh, good, there's more time for me to do more stuff. How many of you feel unrested after Sunday? Monday, you feel like you need a nap. Gregory, you need a nap every day. Stop raising your hand. We do because Sunday is not a restful time. We look at the phrase repeatedly in the Sabbath that says, look, you work for six days, you take a day off. You work for six years, you take a year off. You work for six weeks, you take a week off. And and it is always followed by you take a week off and I will take care of it for the year or the week or the day. I will handle it. If you've done your work for six days, there will be enough to get you through until it's time to return to your work. The Sabbath is intended to let you set aside the demands of life without God and rest in Him. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's not that spare time that we fill up with other things. It's also a regular time. These are the Lord's appointed times. That phrase shows up two or three times in the sacred assemblies, the appointed times, the appointed times. They are intended to be regular. Sabbath is not something we should try to get if we can get it. It's regular. It's part of who we are as the people of God. And the truth is, as Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for us 
not us for the Sabbath. That's important to, to note. That's really, really important to understand. Because if we start to think that we were made or this, we were made for the Sabbath, that really gives us this general idea that our sole purpose on the Sabbath is to go do our time showing up at church, fulfilling our duties, and worshiping God as He wants us to, right? But the thing is, it was made for us. And we could complete the phrase, because we need it. <laughs> it was made for our benefit, not God's. The Sabbath is not this time I have to give to God to make Him happy. The Sabbath is the time God gives to us because we need it. It is a gift. And if we set it aside and we don't treat it as a regular gift that He has given us, we miss out on the blessings we're intended to have. The last one is this. It is an abnormal time. You say, what? It's an abnormal time? If we read the end of our verses, verses 7 and 8, it says, on the first day you hold a sacred assembly, you are not to do any daily work. There's a, not to do anything you do in a normal day. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days, and on the seventh day there will be a sacred assembly. Do not do any daily work. There it is again. It is intended to not look like the other six days with a break for two hours on Sunday where you show up for church. It is intended to be abnormal. It is intended to be weird, which I love because weird is my, is, that's, that's my game. It's intended, huh? I love you too, Colin. So we have, it is intended to be a day that is visibly separate and different from what you experience every other day in your heart, in your mind, and in your very soul, and yes, in your body too. And so my question would be this, as we're, as we're considering this within context of the, the finances and the economics and the things we've discussed, right? We discussed all three of those things were about knowing God's desire, lining up with God's desire, doing the things God would have us do. How can you know what God wants you to do if you are not taking time to be in a relationship with Him? Or are you expecting to read His mind? You can't know what God wants you to do with your finances or your time or your energy or your money if you're not taking a moment to connect with Him, to do the things that He's asked you to do, to grow in Him, because He set aside the time of the Sabbath for us to do just that. And we have to ask ourselves, it's really easy in this day and time to not protect it, to not see it as holy, to not truly rest, to not set aside all of our other errands for the day. It's really hard sometimes to see it as a day different than the others, and yet it should be. So my encouragement to you would be, take your Sabbath. It's so important to your spiritual health. And yes, it's important to your financial health and your relational health. It matters. God designed it for a reason. Let us ask ourselves if we're taking it or not. Speaking of rest in the Lord, this is a Sunday that we celebrate a couple times a year where we're going to do communion by intention. I'm ready. 
Communion by intention is we are going to take an opportunity to take the bread and the cup today. Can anybody tell me why we do this? To remember. What are we trying to remember? Phone numbers? Jesus. Yes, I know his name, but what else am I trying to remember? (laughs) You're trying to remember his sacrifice. We're trying to remember that he gave his life for us so that our souls could find rest in him, right? That our restless souls could find rest in him, that our lost souls could be found in him. And he died for that. He hung on a cross and he died for that. Do you get that? I think it matters. I think it's really, really important. I think it stands at the very core of who we are as believers. If we do not remember and understand that, then we are in a pickle. He died so you could have rest. He died so you could have eternity with him. It is the greatest gift we could ever get. (laughs) Sabbath is pretty good. That one's better. And so as we begin to play music, we're going to have a couple of deacons come up front. And we are going to pass out the bread and the cup. We would ask that if you don't know what to do, you look around at somebody who clearly acts like they know what they're doing and follow them. Okay? That means some of you have to pretend like you know what you're doing. So the idea would be that we will all take turns coming to, to, to take the bread and the cup. We ask you to return to your seats, and then we're going to close the way we always close, which is with a family prayer together as we pray for one another. So are we ready? Everybody stand up. What an honor that is. Communion with us. I'd like to ask you to stand as we have some prayers we would like to to read.